you, Chad. Just to give you a little bit of perspective on Christianity in Syria, if you read the book of Acts, you will find uh, a city there called Antioch. And it's in Antioch where these people who followed Jesus are first called Christians. It's from Antioch that a man named Paul goes out to plant churches all over the known uh, Roman world at the time. And do you know where Antioch is? It's in Syria. Christianity, as we know it, uh, yes, began in Jerusalem, but really flourished from a place in Syria. And so our history uh, as as believers, is tied more closely to Syria than maybe we would, uh, maybe we've ever known before, uh, and a lot of that, a lot of that history uh, is being wiped out, and so uh, we have a we have a stake in that land. Uh, if you would turn with me, if you've got a Bible, to Luke chapter sixteen. If you don't have a Bible, we have some there in the uh, in the row for you in the chair and. Um, you should be able to find where we are on page 875 of that Bible. We are, uh, we're making our way through Luke, and what's happening right now, just to give you kind of a sense of, of what's happening, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. Uh, and this is a long section where Jesus, Luke includes a lot of Jesus' teaching on different subjects. So as Jesus makes his way, he teaches. And what he's teaching about, what he's showing people is what it looks like to be a part of God's kingdom. What it looks like to follow Jesus. And as he does that, he's challenging some other people. Uh, and their name, and they, they're called the Pharisees. And what's, what's ironic about Jesus' challenge of them is that they would have been the people that you would have said, this is what it looks like to follow God. This is what it looks like to be righteous. And yet repeatedly, Jesus, uh, Jesus teaches in a different direction. He continually challenges them and says, no, don't follow them at all. This is what your life ought to look like, not theirs. Uh, and so you may not be able to tell it going through it like we are, but there's a, a head of steam building. There's conflict, growing conflict, growing. And it's going to erupt uh, when Jesus gets to Jerusalem. Uh, but today, the passage that we're going to look at in Luke 15, so, so, excuse me, Luke 16, last week in Luke 15, we saw God's heart for the lost. That God, God desires, He seeks and saves those who are running from Him. Those who do not deserve that. And we call that grace. God's heart is one of grace. And it is grace for those who know they don't deserve it. And consequently, he is against those who think that they do. He is against the self-righteous, which is exactly what Jesus challenged last week. This week, we're actually going to look at one of the most difficult passages in all of the New Testament to understand, in all of the Gospels um, to understand. It's one of the most difficult to interpret. In fact, the reason that I wanted to preach it was just so that we could kind of have a crack at it. Uh, and uh, if you've never read it before, when we read it, you'll see why it's difficult. So before we read, we need to define an important word, and I'll, uh, I'll do it with this illustration. Every time that uh, every, every Chick-fil-A store that I've ever been in, and I've been in a good many, uh, there's always a sign with a smiling face on it, 
And that is the smiling face of the owner operator of that store. And usually, you know, there's something on there about how to get in touch with them if things didn't go well. Um, but when I turn around and look behind the counter, I don't usually see that smiling face, right? Um, sometimes, but not often. But what I do see is a manager, uh, somebody who is not the owner uh, they don't have a financial stake in the store, right? They haven't put their money on the line. They are not the owner. They are the manager. They have been tasked with running the store for the owner. Okay, so they're not, uh, they're not the owner. Um, they are, but they have the responsibility for running the store, uh, that, that belongs to the owner. So, so a steward is someone who, excuse me, a manager is someone who takes what belongs to someone else and makes it run smoothly. And in a minute, we're going to read this passage. And when I read it in this, uh, in, in my Bible, it's going to say manager, but that's, uh, your Bible may say the word steward, And I want you to know that they're really the same thing, that a steward in Jesus' day was a chief servant responsible for handling the master's business, right? So uh, he didn't own the house, he didn't own the estate, but he ran it for the master. Uh, And so the the, the steward is someone that the master trusts to take care of his stuff. So now with that category in mind. Let's take a look, uh, a look at Luke 16. Luke 16, 1. Jesus also said to his disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, what's this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, what shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I've decided what to do so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, a hundred measures of oil. He said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another, how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and write 80. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you've not been faithful in that which is another's, Who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things and they ridiculed him. 
And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. This is God's word. And let's ask for his help in understanding and applying it to our lives. Let's pray. Father, this is a, a tricky passage. Uh, it's tricky for us because we don't understand all of the ins and outs. And so I pray that you would clarify our understanding and that uh, that wouldn't come at the expense of it being really boring, uh, but that we would be able to understand what it is that Jesus is saying uh, so that we would know uh, how to respond to what Jesus is saying. We pray it in his name. Amen. All right, so maybe you can see why this is a difficult passage. Um, Jesus tells a story about a manager who, on the face of it anyway, it looks like he basically robs his master. Uh, that that uh, his, he, he, has his, he has these different debtors sit down who owe his master money uh, and rewrite their bills, which seems incredibly dishonest uh, if that's what's going on. Um, and so, which would then mean that Jesus is telling us that we should act likewise. And that would be very out of character for Jesus to say that we should. Uh, in nowhere, nowhere else does Jesus tell a parable that commends us to act dishonestly or immorally. So that's if 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 we come away with that conclusion from from just the surface reading of the parable, we know that that's not that's not the right reading. So um, let's uh, we're gonna in a minute we're gonna plunge into the parable itself, and then we're gonna we're gonna see some different applications that we derive from it, and uh, we're gonna. Talk about what it means to be clever, or what it means to be generous, what it means to be trustworthy, and what it means to serve the true master. Uh, and, and all of this, I want you to, this is, this is actually where we're going, that what I believe Jesus is doing is he's calling his people to be clever, wise or shrewd, to be clever in using earthly wealth, earthly goods, for kingdom purposes. That's actually what Jesus is doing here. Uh, and if you're, and if you're puzzled like, what? How did you get that out of this? I'll see if I can get you there. Let's go. Alright, so, so here's what happened. Let's, let's unpack the parable a little bit so we can figure out what Jesus means. You have a rich man. Uh, and like many rich landowners, estate owners, he has a steward who manages his business for him. And he gets a report that this manager has been wasting uh, his resources. Uh, later on, Jesus is going to call him dishonest. So we don't have only any other details about that other than that this, the, the owner gets a, gets a report, uh, he believes the report, and he goes to the manager and he says, I want you to turn in all your books to me, uh, and you're fired. Right? Uh, so turn in all your work, let me see what you've done, and get out. Now, here's the problem that the steward faces. Uh, he likely lived on the property, right? Usually uh, a steward would have been, like, would have had his livelihood. Not only was this his job, this is where he lived. And so when he gets fired, he will be losing not just his livelihood, but also uh, the very place that he stays. And so he's got to figure out how he's going to, uh, what he's going to do going forward. Uh, he says he's not strong enough to dig, so manual labor is out. Uh, and he's ashamed to beg. He doesn't want to be a beggar. And so, uh, voila, he comes up with this other plan. 
Uh, and I want you to notice, this is really important, at verse 4, the, uh, the goal is what begins to make it make sense. His goal, his plan, is that he will make friends who can take care of him later. That's what he, that's what he wants. Is he, since he's about to lose his job, he needs a new one. Since he's about to lose his house, he needs a new one. So he needs connections. And so he develops a plan that will make that happen. Got it so far? Here we go. This is where it begins to get muddy. What exactly is he doing? What is his plan? Right, he calls in, uh, he calls in his master's debtors one by one. Uh, and so, so the first one, uh, he has, uh, he calls in all these different debtors and he has them lower the amounts that they owe. He has them lower the amounts that they owe. And, and in doing this, obviously he's giving them a huge favor. So this first guy that comes in, uh, he asks him, alright, what, what do you owe? What is your, what is your debt? And he, he says, uh, he says he owes about 875 gallons of oil. That's olive oil, not crude oil. We weren't harvesting that then. Uh, so this guy, this guy owes a ton. Uh, using, using a day's wage, which was called a denarius, it would have taken, assuming he got that every day, uh, it would have taken him three years to pay that off. And so what the steward does is he cuts the debt in half. And then with the second guy who comes in, or another guy who comes in, he owes about a thousand bushels of wheat, or what you would, what you would harvest from about a hundred acres. And that, if my math's right, just highly suspicious, uh, that would have taken about six years to pay off. And so he cuts that debt by 20%. Now, remember the goal, he's helping them now so that they will help him later. What is he doing to cut these debts? Now, I already told you that I don't think he's, I don't think he's being dishonest. Because then Jesus would be commending dishonest behavior, which he never does. And if, if this man were robbing his master, his master wouldn't be praising him in the very next verse, which he does. So that's not, that's not a sound reading of this text. In fact, if you look at verse 8, he doesn't praise him for his dishonesty. What does he praise him for? His shrewdness, his craftiness, his clever, uh, his clever plan. That's what the master praises. The dishonesty is probably a reference to what cost him his job. So this man is being praised for his foresight, right? He saw a bad situation coming. And he was clever enough to figure out how to get himself out of it. That is what the master is commending him for. So he's probably doing one of two things. If he's not robbing his master, he's probably doing one of two things. Either he is removing the interest that was on the loan. Now, you need to know, and, and this, is, this is possible for a couple of reasons. One, uh, in Jewish law, charging interest was illegal. And so it was kind of a gentleman's agreement that uh, that the interest would be covered up in the you, you never you never would have explicit a Jewish man would have never explicitly said and I'm charging you this much interest because it was illegal to charge one of your countrymen interest. And so it would have been baked into the price and and it would have been illegal. And so what the steward is doing is actually cutting the interest out um 
And so now he's the hero because he's doing, he's, he's obeying God's law. That's one possibility. Another possibility is that he is removing his commission. So that as a, uh, so that as a steward brokering the deal, he would have taken some, uh, like he, he would have, he would have put a fee on top of that so that he would make some extra money on the deal. And what he's doing is taking that back out. Right? Uh, I like that last one because I think it fits the vibe of this passage. That this, this man is taking a loss now. He's giving up his income now so that he can receive a benefit later. And remember, this passage is all about being wise. Being wise, being clever, uh, going forward. And so he's taking his cut, he's removing his cut. He's taking a cut of his cut. Uh, he's he's removing his fee so that he can uh, so that he can get a benefit later. Now, let's drill back out. Jesus's point is this: people who don't know God. This is what Jesus says in verse eight. People who don't know God often act more wisely than people that do. People who don't know God often act more prudently with their wealth to protect their long-term well-being. They are often more clever than God's people. They play the long game by asking, what will benefit me in the future? That's what uh, Jesus says the, the, the sons of this age or the sons of this world do. And he's basically saying to those who want to know God or those who follow God, like you can learn from that. You need to be wise in the way that you use your wealth. Except not to protect yourself, not for your own long-term well-being. Since God has secured that already, you can use your wealth for kingdom purposes. Alright, so, so Jesus is saying that knowing God doesn't mean being naive or foolish in how you use your material possessions. If anything, we should be more clever in the ways that we use uh, our wealth, since our goal is not limited to material prosperity. The sons of this age are all about material prosperity, and so they're clever in how they can get there. Jesus is saying, you be wise in this way as well, which leads, uh, which leads to the next point, uh, to be generous. If you look at verse 9, uh, Jesus says in verse 9, I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth. Now, what does he mean by unrighteous wealth? I think he means that um, probably because the pursuit of wealth uh, for its own sake is unrighteous. Often the way that we pursue wealth is unrighteous. We pursue wealth for its own sake, and so that means it harms us and that we're more selfish. Uh, it takes advantage of others. Uh, it leaves God out of the equation. Uh, what Paul says in 1 Timothy 6.10 is that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And so I think that's why Jesus calls uh, wealth here unrighteous. But, then he, but he says something interesting. He says, make friends with unrighteous wealth. He doesn't mean come by your money dishonestly and then buy friends with it. That sounds kind of strange. What he means here is instead of pursuing wealth for its own sake, use your wealth to make friends for eternity. Use your wealth to make friends for eternity. So it gives, it, he's giving a new dimension for the way that we think about our material stuff. 
instead of hoarding it and keeping it for ourselves, uh, using it to, uh, to gain approval, which we're going to see in a minute, Jesus says, no, 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 make fr- use your stuff to make friends uh, in the world so that for, for eternal ends, for eternal purposes. Have a better goal in mind for your possessions. Why? Because as he says, eventually wealth will fail. Uh, either it will fail you, meaning the economy will collapse or uh, something will get stolen or uh, moth and rust will destroy, whatever. Uh, wealth will eventually fail you or you will eventually fail wealth. You're going to die and you can't take it with you. Right, And so material wealth is only uh, as good as it lasts, and it doesn't last forever. And so uh, money is temporary, so see it as a tool that you can use generously for the benefit of others. Uh, and for your own benefit. He says that those that you give to, those you make friends with, will welcome you into heaven. Jesus is, Jesus is saying that your wealth can be used for evangelistic purposes, for kingdom purposes. That's what it means to be generous in the kingdom sense, right? Um, so be clever, be generous. Uh, and then the next one Jesus says is be trustworthy. So I want you to notice that, that all of these are very tightly connected. To be clever in the kingdom sense is to be generous, uh, to be generous in the kingdom sense is to be trustworthy with what God has given you. Uh, Jesus now speaking to the question of character in verse 10. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. Uh, we can be prone to think maybe that, man, if I just had a little bit more, then... I would really show out, right? Then, if I, if I just had some different circumstances, if God would just bless me with winning the lottery, then I could finally give, right? Then I could finally do what I need to do. Um, you may be familiar with the, uh, the current meme on Facebook, the, the cat and the woman meme. Um, I have no idea where that came from. Several funny ones. I saw one last night where, so if you're not, if you're not familiar with the meme, uh, or, or if, if we, or if you hear the word meme and you go, what is he talking about? Um, it would really be too hard for me to explain. Uh, basically, it's on the internet. Um, so you have a picture of a woman on one side and she's pointing her finger and screaming, saying something very loudly. And then the picture on the other side is a cat who says something snarky. All right, usually something sarcastic. And the one I saw last night, the woman was yelling, I want to go on a mission trip. And the cat said, you won't even serve in the nursery. (laughs) That's what Jesus is saying. If you're not going to be faithful in little, you won't be faithful in much. And if you're faithful in a little, you will be faithful in much. It's not a question of how much or how little you have. It is a question of your character. It is a question of who you are. Uh, which is why Jesus will go on to say um, that if you, if, you, if you can't be trusted with what belongs to someone else, how can you be trusted with your own? Uh, if, you can't be, uh, if you can't be a trustworthy steward, and, and, and this is really the point, right? Jesus, Jesus has now moved from a parable about a steward 
to pointing the finger at us and saying, you're a steward. You and I, we are stewards. We have been given many things by God's grace. And we need to be clever and generous and trustworthy in the ways that we handle those gifts. Right, it's part of it's one of the mission objectives of our church to give ourselves away in mercy, service, evangelism and stewardship. That we acknowledge first of all that we're not owners. I am not the owner operator of the Clanton Chick-fil-A store, though I wish I could be. Cuz I would put one here. I think I would want to. Um, we are not the owner operator, right? That's God. We are simply the servants. We are simply the stewards. And we have been given a certain amount, whether a lot or a little, to use for his purposes. That's what this whole passage is about. That's why the word manager and management come up so much. Because we're meant to identify with the manager. We're meant to say, how would I, how am I using what God has given me for his glory? Alright? Uh, so, be clever, be generous, be trustworthy, um, which really brings us to the heart of the issue. All three of those points may have been really deflating for you. Right? You may have heard every single one of those and said, right, that, and you may have heard each one with a lot of discouragement. I am not wise with how I use my material wealth. I am not generous but stingy. And look, I get it, right? I'm, I'm, I'm deflated and discouraged by these words as well. Remember, I've told you before, like, I'm the no guy in our house, okay? I say no to everything. It's my, it's my first word. Um, I'm not wise. I'm not generous. Uh, which means then I'm not a trustworthy steward. And that's really good. Because that's exactly what Jesus wants to expose, that's exact. Those those are the things that Jesus wants to lay bare. So so if you hear this parable and hear that application and you go, all right, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, you have not heard Jesus, because the people who do hear Jesus, we see them in the next verse. They're the Pharisees, and you know what they you know what they do when they hear Jesus? They scorn him. Right? They they look down their noses and they sneer at Jesus, and Jesus. And, and Jesus says to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men. Right? Uh, and why do they do that? Why do they sneer at Jesus? Because they love money. They love money. And they love being well thought of. They love outward appearances. And Jesus says that what people praise, God abhors. God finds disgusting. That's a sobering word. That what people praise, God finds disgusting. And so how we behave with our wealth comes back to whom we serve. Look at verse, uh, look at verse 13. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one, cling to the one, and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Bob Dylan, uh, famous Bob Dylan quote, You're going to serve somebody. You're always going to serve somebody. Now there's two reasons why I, I like to use that Bob Dylan quote. 
One, it's the only Bob Dylan quote I know. And two, it's really insightful about human behavior. Because what it says, A, it echoes the Bible, and the Bible's really insightful about human behavior. Uh, But what it says is that even the most hard-working, self-willed, independent-minded, get-her-done sort of person is still serving something. You are not your own. You are serving something or someone. And you cannot serve two. You will only, you will only ever have one master. Now you may say that you are serving the Lord. But Jesus says your management will, will reveal who you're really serving. Just like that manager goes to the steward, excuse me, just like the owner goes to the steward and says, let's see the books. The books will reveal it, right? The books reveal us every time. Uh, and so, even the most, uh, even the most independent-minded person, even the most hard-working, I've pulled myself up by my bootstraps person, is still a servant to something or someone. And what Jesus says that if you're clinging to wealth, then you won't be able to serve God. Because the priorities of wealth and the priorities of God run in two different directions. They are not parallel. They are opposed. And if you want to serve God, then you're going to have to give up your wealth. Not in the fullest sense of that word, not for everyone, but the priorities of building and maintaining wealth do not align with God's kingdom priorities. Alright? So, you can't serve both. If you cling to God, then you're going to be letting wealth go. Um, so, how do we get there? How do we, how do we come to the place of being that faithful, wise, generous steward? Well, you have to cling to the master who became a servant. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 8 9. He says, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. That's the gospel. Jesus was not a servant. Jesus, Jesus was not the chief servant. He wasn't a steward. Jesus is the owner. Jesus is the master. And what the gospel tells us is that the master gave up his priorities and came as a servant. He embraced the poverty uh, of a servant life so that you could have his riches. He took our place so that we could receive what rightly belonged to Him. Friend, the only way that you and I will begin to loosen that white-knuckled death grip on the idol called wealth is when we realize that Jesus has a white-knuckled death grip on us. And He is not content to let us stay in our idolatry. He came to set us free from serving wealth so that we could serve Him. Come to Jesus. Embrace the Master, the true Master of your soul. Let's pray.